So I'm always about empowering and encouraging. I mean, that just comes from, I think, the way I was coached. And now I get to transfer that to the way I, I coach or treat my patients. Welcome to Creating Community with Dorian and Jake, a podcast designed to bring area leaders, business owners, and other interesting people together to better our community. I'm your co-host, Jake Starkey. And I'm your other co-host, Dorian Strickland. We're the owners of 1820 Marketing and 1820 Coffeehouse in the heart of Alvin, Texas. Our goal with this podcast is to showcase the amazing people, businesses, and organizations we have in and around Brazoria County. So if you know someone who should be highlighted, please email us at info at 1820marketing.com to let us know. And speaking of around Brazoria County, today we are happy to be recording from the Siena branch of the Fort Bend Library System. Emergence Functional Nutrition is one of our sponsors of this podcast, as is the Alvin Manville Area Chamber of Commerce. You can learn more about both of them later on in the show. If you're a first-time listener, we would love for you to subscribe to Creating Community on your favorite podcast app. Creating Community with Dorian and Jake is available wherever you get your podcasts, or you can listen directly at 1820marketing.com slash podcast. In this episode, we are talking with Dr. Leslie Tug Cargbo. He's the founder and owner of REPS, which stands for Research Enhanced Performance Services. REPS is a physical therapy and sports performance center specializing in returning athletes to full strength, as well as helping young athletes participate in dynamic training and agility classes to help build healthy habits and dominate in all sports. That is a, a lot. Yeah. And I've seen the work he does. He does it too. All so right. he does it. And I look at the works the kids are doing going, I'm, I'm just tired watching. So, right. well, <laughs> let, let's start by saying welcome to the show, Tug. Thank you, Dorian, for having me. Thank oh, you, Jake, for having me. I appreciate it, you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's start with where you grew up, where you're from. How? Sure. I was born here in Houston, but uh, at a very young age, my uh, parents took me to Nigeria, where I, I grew up for about the latter part of the six years I was there. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah, you know, U.S. culture, the, the all the stuff that people learned growing up in the 80s was all foreign to me. <laughs> all right. And the only person I probably knew that was a you know huge megastar back then was Michael Jackson. So I okay. did have the Michael Jackson moves, but all right. as far as like everything else that was going on with, you know, pop culture or, you know, the hair, the clothing, the, gotcha. uh, the football, all that stuff was all foreign to me. So when I moved here, I had to kind of learn a whole new culture and start over and start over, which was really neat and, and nice and transitioning into uh, the American culture. But we moved back not to Houston, but to Chicago, where I really, really got to see, you know, what inner city and urban vibes are, are like and culture in that regard. And so I learned some things I shouldn't have learned, but I also learned some things <laughs> I, uh, to kind of get you street smart and things like that. But, you know, Chicago was fun, but I was missing Houston. We ended up back in Houston at the age of uh, 12. It helped, so you left at six around that age? Yes, I left Nigeria around six or seven and then uh, moved to Chicago. Lived there for about six years before I moved back to Houston. Yeah. So I do tell people I'm a Houstonian. I was okay, technically good. born in Houston. I got you. Nice. There yes. you go. Yeah, you could say that then. Yeah. Yes. And now you say your parents, but... You have brother, right? Yes. Um, so I have two older brothers. One of them lives here in Houston, but works for Google. He's a transplant from the whole pandemic oh, wow. issue. Really? But he's really happy to be back. And I'm I'm excited to have him because his family, is, uh, his daughters are growing up here and I get to be a part of their lives nice. now. And then I have another brother who's in Austin, Texas, and he's um, flying with JetBlue. So he's all always up and going around. So I get huh. to see him from time to time. As a matter of yeah. fact, he'll be running the Houston Marathon tomorrow oh, uh, really? on Sunday. Nice. Yes. Yeah. Wow. So I'm excited. I'm excited to see him run and cheer him on. That's very fantastic. Cool. Yeah. Now, before we get to the fact that you obviously have doctor in your title, so you've got book smarts, you seem 
you, you kind of mentioned it earlier, but you have street smarts. You have a lot of common sense, which well, I appreciate. Well, I'm thinking of the culture shock from Nigeria to Chicago inner, inner city youth, right? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. So um, the, the, the kind of street smarts you have to develop early on is like what kind of community do you want to form and who are you going to kind of identify yourself with? And luckily for us, we had a very good, very religious mom who, you know, always kind of chaperoned us in the right way about learning about Jesus Christ and keeping us safe. And yeah. so we were able to like learn from good examples from church and staying off the streets. And I think ultimately, and as people still hear stories about what comes out of Chicago right now, the danger started becoming more than she can control. And so that's why the need to move back to Houston was probably more prominent at the time. And I think that was the best time to do it because we were still young and developing in, in middle school and high school. And Ultimately, I've met some really my favorite friends that I've met are from middle school and high school and yeah. stay in touch with these guys. And we try to you know fellowship as much as we can. But that culture shock is real. So I, I'm very <laughs> I'm very um, I kind of sense when somebody's from somewhere else that they probably need someone to guide them or, yeah. or show them around town or just be a lending hand or a lending ear. That welcoming. Person. I, I try yeah, to welcome sure. people from that are from yeah. different cultures because I know what it is to feel like an outsider. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I was just going to ask you, so what was the, re was it work that caused the move to Nigeria and then to Chicago or was there another choice? Well, both my parents are from Africa and they moved here for education purposes. So once they completed their education, oh. that's when they decided, okay, well, let's try going back and using this education to help our people. Nice. But, you know, back then the economy was really difficult for a lot of folks and sure. just trying to find your way was really challenging. So I think it just took a while for them to finally decide, you know what, we had better opportunities back in the United States, so let's go ahead and move back. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then the move from Chicago back to Houston, is the, was their family down here as well? Obviously, you were born here. Sounds like your parents probably went to school in this area. Yeah. So they, they continue to have a lot of friends here in the Houston area. But, you know, there was a point in the time where I think my dad wanted to be in Houston more than my mom wanted to be in Houston. Most of his friends were still here. So... He was he is who we ended up being with while we were here, um, both in the middle school and high school years. OK. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I'm actually glad that we did then, because I think that's when we started finding our, our true gifts in both in academics and in sports. Um, Houston, uh, as you know, is a huge sports town for, for sure. football, basketball, baseball and moving to Houston and getting an opportunity to play these sports really kind of put us in, in better positions to, you know, make it you know, yeah. for a lack of a better term. So that's, that's something that I'm really happy that we got a chance to do when we did, because, yeah. you know, some people don't make it out of, you know, really bad situations oh, at sure. times. Well, you mentioned that uh, there's a lot of sports and we know that Houston is known for that to an extent, but what was your sport of choice? Football, <laughs> without a doubt. I, I had older proudly. brothers that kind of toughened you up, you know, from yeah. a, from the early age. I mean, we, we grew up in the times of, where, you know, WWE and wrestling on TV was a huge thing. Yeah. And so we'd learn all the moves and then we'd have to get together and uh, practice on each other. There you go. And two older brothers. You're the one that's getting better I, I for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely uh, learned uh, not to let them in a figure, let, let them put you in a figure le uh, four leg lock. Oh, yeah. 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 But, you know, with that, that toughness and that, that, character building by the time i got to football i was like wait we get to wear pads and fight <laughs> this is no wait, problem this is easy yeah. <laughs> yeah. where Bring was it this on. growing up with my brothers yeah. <laughs> you know I, I tell a story when i was younger i wanted to play bad my my buddy played basketball he grew up in spain very very good at basketball and yes. we would play and we'd play one-on-one -on -one. i go this just sucks this is not good because i'm not good and i got really good at defense 
simply because he played offense so much and he was so good and he never took it easy on me. So that's perfect. So I understand being the younger one with somebody else having more knowledge. It's very helpful. I, I tell people all the time, that's what you need to do is find somebody way better than you and just play them until you catch up. That's true. Mm-hmm. I mean, this day and age when kids are learning things, we often want to find the easier way to get them to learn it. Yeah. So, you know, you don't want to hurt feelings and things like that. But sometimes character building comes from playing people that are much more skilled than you and then you having to fight through the challenges of figuring out how to slow them down or maybe even get one bucket in. <laughs> right. <Yeah. exactly. laughs> and that's a victory in itself. So it, it, um, it, it teaches you. Grit. Particularly when it's really hard to get that first bucket. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yes. We, we talk sometimes about like people work to the level of the people that they're around. Yeah. You know, if, if everyone else is slacking, why should I work hard? Why should, and on the flip side, I played sports growing up, soccer and stuff. If you, if you played a tough team, you were much better against them and if you played an easy team you it was like how is that score how is it zero zero right. and this team is horrible and it's just because you you rose to the level of your competition exactly and that's, that's true. a that's a weird thing so you started what 12 and you moved back to houston or did you start younger in chicago uh no i actually started in houston i never really played organized sports and so in chicago we were part of the boys and girls club and because okay. of that community, we had good coaches that would kind of encourage you to, you know, come in and, and get show effort, but learn the basics and the fundamentals. Um, so, you know, Houston, it was kind of so prevalent where sports was in school. There was club teams or basically you could throw throw a rock and hit a team. So yeah. you just had to kind of get indoctrinated into into sports. And early on was middle school years. And for me, um, that's when I really kind of found my way into, all right, where do you fit in, in this Houston yeah. community, in this Houston society? And I took a liking to it, and my coaches took a liking to me. And, and you know, each year was kind of eye-opening and what, you know, how much more talent there is and how much effort you had to show or put in to, to continue to be recognized to be, you know, one of the best, better players. But it just shows – it, it kind of put a process to, for me together on how you conduct yourself and what – if you set certain goals, you can achieve them. And there are people out here that are, I mean, I call them coaches, but for other people that might be mentors or or pastors or leaders in their community that kind of help you achieve uh, certain goals. And that's, that's to me, what was the most yeah. amazing thing about sports early on. Well, I, I think sometimes people feel like they fall into one of two camps. One, eh, my parents are making me. It's like I, I don't want to play enjoy this. it, but it's not life. Right. And while I don't think you consider sports life, I think you can – consider it an important part because of the, I look at it as the team camaraderie and mm-hmm. things like that. And just what were some of the lessons you learned that I feel like you've taken to today even? So, you know, I loved it so much, but I wasn't that good at it at the beginning. I still remember in eighth grade doing kind of a bench press test and not being able to lift as much as other guys who no. maybe had been lifting weights the year before, or maybe their dad had a weight set in the in garage. And so they got a chance to play with some of these things. And so just getting that that first level of embarrassment where people are doing a lot better than you. And then that was the first lesson was like, you might not be good at something when you first start, but give it give it some time. See what happens. Right. So over time, by the time I hit high school, these same guys that were pushing the weights around looked over at me and they were like, man, dude, you've put on some muscle here. And all of a sudden you're pushing the weight around. And by the time we were seniors in high school, I mean, I was in the 1,500-pound club. So, you know, this is a a combination of bench press, your squat, your power clean, and your incline. And so they add these numbers up, and they 
have a certain number of guys that get into the club and then you get a t-shirt and so I mean, okay. I'm, I'm I need basically, my T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure I'm not there. Uh, so I mean, it's kind of like a, a it's like a powerlifters club for football players, yeah. you know. But, so wow, and you also don't know where those other kids started. You don't know what their home life was like. Like you mentioned, you don't know that they're lifting weights with their dad or right. those things. So you're yeah. comparing yourself, and that's a good lesson for people to learn: is don't compare yourself to somebody you don't know. Right. Right. Find out their history first. Right. And, and exactly. It, and it does seem to me that you. Did you get a scholarship to U of H? I know you ended up playing there. Yes. So you got a scholarship to U of H, but I think, I don't know how to say this, but it seems to me like you enjoyed playing it, and then the fruit of your labor was you got a scholarship. Right. You weren't playing. It seems like today kids are very much, I'm playing for a scholarship. I'm not playing to win. I'm not playing to be a team. It's, well, I we need a scholarship. We talked to Kerry this morning. He was saying, have a backup plan. Like yes. Your your goal is to be a millionaire playing sports, but but what's your backup plan? <laughs> right. That And that's that's really key. You know, I preach that to my kids and I preach that to the kids that I get to work with too. One thing that I think really opened my eyes with the whole recruiting process, cause I had no idea what that was. My brother was a decent athlete. And so he got recruited by a lot of schools here in the state of Texas. So I guess I got to roll with him to Texas A&M. Oh. And so RC Slocum was trying to get him on the football team. And so they rolled out the red carpet and me, you know, being a sophomore in high school, that really opened That's my eyes. Cool. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, this is there's different tiers and levels to this game and the the weight room, the locker room, the football field, the, the campus, that whole environment just kind of put put it, it was it was kind of like you know, I was already motivated, but this is it. This is I'm gonna play yeah. football in college at this point. Yeah. You know, it, it may not be at Texas AM, which you know ended up being at University of Houston, but just the way that they treated these guys during their recruiting trips and the amount of resources that poured into their, you know, their 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 programs, I was just like, yeah, this is definitely something I want to be a part of. Nice. Well, I, I would be remiss before we move to the next section if I didn't ask, where does the name Tug come from? <laughs> so that was a nickname given to me. So originally, I was a, a group of guys on the defensive line that they called us the Groundhogs because we would burrow, burrow <laughs> okay. through to the yeah. other side and then we'd make these plays <laughs> and tackle these guys in the backfield. That field. works, yeah. Um, but then eventually, you know, Tugboat came from me switching over to the offensive side of the ball and we were playing a, a middle school local here in Sugarland for our, our district championship game. And oh. I ended up having the ball in my hands towards the end of the game. So being down in this football game, I got to carry the ball at the end. And so I'm carrying three nice. guys into the end zone to win. So you're and a tugboat. So yeah. that's what happened. Oh, a coach man. runs up and literally threw me over his shoulders. He's like, boy, you're a little tugboat. And uh, I think all the parents <laughs> Boom, heard him. there it is. <laughs> yeah. They yeah, didn't hear stuck. boat. They just heard tugboat. That <laughs> right. nice. yeah. Well, so, you know, you get older after 18 years old and people calling you tugboat sounds like a little kid. So right. I think at some point I was like, you know what, just call me tug now. Let's just yeah, shorten yeah, it. Let's shorten yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> tug works. Yeah. I, I meet guys all the time who are like, well, it's not Eddie, it's Ed. You know, it's not right. Thomas, it's Tom. It's, so, it's yes. Richard, it's not Ricky. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, I grew up with a guy my whole time. We called him Gus. And then I met him, like, as an adult. He's like, William. I go, really? Like, what? that's a weird. <laughs> Why does that like, happen? Like, that's fine. But it's going to take some retraining to yeah. get there. And but, it's one of, or one, of, one of those names, his middle name? Yeah, or? Okay. like, it was William Gus. Okay. Him, but he just, like, his dad was named William, so he always went by Gus. Yeah, yeah. I understand. But yeah. still, like, man, yeah, we, we had a friend in school. His name was Trey Forever. Learned out his name was Claude. And I go, <laughs> that's what? another joke. What do you mean, Claude? How did, where did that come from? He goes, Well, I'm the third. I'm yes. Claude E. Sessions, the third. I go, Oh, Trey, now I get it. Yes. Okay. 
Yeah. But it took me years before I figured that out. I, went, okay. I just assumed it was Trey all the time. Oh, yeah. I mean, family names are really cool in that, you know, oh, yeah. you don't even know when you receive it, you know. Yeah. yeah they probably had a name for you before you were born. Yeah. And then you, you just know it to be that. And then well, I happen to know the story, and that's not the case for me, but that's, a, that's another time. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole other time. All right. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to jump into reps and everything that Tug's got going on right now. Hi, this is Amy Shelton with Emergence Functional Nutrition. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Are you looking for a sustainable diet and lifestyle changes to get you to the place where you want to be? I invite you to book a free discovery session. Go to www.efn.fit. Hi, this is Carrie Perrin, President and CEO of the Alva Manville Area Chamber of Commerce. Here at the Chamber, we want to support local businesses. We want to give you visibility in the community. We want to give you opportunity in the community. And for those of you that aren't business owners, we want to let you know about all our wonderful Chamber members. And if you support them, you support our community. So remember, whether you're a business or a community member, when you eat, shop, play, and support local business, you support the community. And we're back with Tug. One of the things that I'm interested in is, in my head, not being a physical therapist at all. Not it seems all. like a uh, seems like a very hands-on thing. How did you weather COVID? Because you started reps a couple of years before correct COVID. COVID shows up. Hey, everybody, go to your house. Don't leave. God forbid, touch someone else. Yes. And I know that's kind of a part of physical therapy. Yes. What was your, how did you weather it? It's in the title. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I think that's one of the questions I received during my interview for physical therapy school was, you know, what, what do you know about physical therapy and kind of give us your philosophy of it. I said, well, it's a pretty physical job. You know, that's something I look forward to is getting my hands on people and helping affect the change in their body and making things work better or move yeah. better. And I think that really that answer made them realize, oh, he knows what he's getting into. You know, you, you yeah. can instruct people all you want. You can kind of suggest things all you want. But sometimes you have to touch and move and let them understand that you know their pain. But it's also part of the process. But as far as we're concerned, our, actually, our company grew because, I think, of this pandemic. I, I, I went through a few phases of trying to decide on what our philosophy is and what our you know service lines are going to be. And, and that's when all these things were, you know, looking things under a microscope, trying to figure out what is going to be the reason why our company can level up and go to the next level. But then the pandemic started and, you know, I was working with kids out predominantly in some sports parks and arenas and they started shutting those down. And so I said, well, I can't even train outdoors. What are yeah. we going to do now? Well, my lovely wife, very smart, <laughs> very, very brilliant about things, said to me, look, you have all this equipment. Why don't you bring them over to your gym? And yeah. train them there. They've shut down the PE classes. They can't play sports. All the recreational activities are right. now closed. So she said, start training them at, at your place. And to be honest with you, that was the best advice she could have yeah. given me. I started thinking that maybe I can get five or six kids, including mine, you know, yeah. to come out and work out. Because I didn't want them to miss the activity. They, they'd already, you know, started at five and six years old playing different sports. And so yeah. they were developing in, in this stuff that I really love. there's a gap in what they have. And there was a gap. So <clears throat> the, we figure out, well, if there's a need, try to provide a service for it. So I thought I was going to get five or six kids. I put it out on social media. Hey, I'm going to be offering classes. These are kind of very beginner classes. We're going to be learning movement specific skills. Yeah. And then ultimately we'll get into the, the stuff that kids really want to do, which is 
they want to look macho and lift weights and have fun and have fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, when you say specific to movement and stuff, are you talking movement for football or just movement for healthy movement in general? All of the like above. Sport. sport. It could be sport specific. I mean, there's there is a there are a slew of movements that I think are very basic and fundamental to us that we learn as as um, babies and as we develop. That once you start to want to you know be proficient in these. That's what translates over to your performance in sports. Sure. And so things like the hinge and the the squat or uh, the lunge positioning and all these things are what we try to teach the fundamentals without making it feel like you're in a classroom or you're in a PE class, yeah. right? But then there's also the agility ladder that we break out, and so you have to learn how to place your feet but keep your center of gravity over the, yeah. the ball of your feet. Um, it's, it's almost like learning dance, learning a tap. Um, you, there's a rhythm to it, and sure. there's a certain amount of practice that's required. And so we try to give the kids the numbers or the repetitions of practice that they need to get better at it. But to answer your question about the pandemic, people were stuck at home. So they still wanted their kids to get out and get off their devices. So after yeah. I posted those things on Instagram and, and Facebook, all of a sudden I started getting kids signing up left and right. I, I went from six or seven to 30. And wow. I had to hire coaches because I couldn't handle 30 yeah. kids by myself. Yeah. Sure. But what I found out is that they were not only excited to get out and, and exercise, but they were excited to be around each other and socialize. So yeah. we definitely had to follow, you know, the guidelines that were placed out in front of us um, with the six feet rule. So each kid had a bucket to sit on. They were placed six feet apart when they arrived. Okay. They could leave their water bottles and their things close to the bucket. But then when we played games, the games were spread out in the back of our facility. So it's basically a parking lot. Uh, we started with chalking off the ground. <laughs> and, and everybody's still able to stay apart from each other. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah, then we moved to using cones. And, but then every game was still associated with exercise and fitness. Yeah. But now you just didn't have to be on top of somebody to do it. Yeah. So it was fun. I mean, everybody had their own exercise mats and they were doing push-ups. You know, so yeah. it, it basically it was it was boot camp for kids. Okay. <laughs> nice. For so, all the parents out there, boot camp for kids. That's yeah. right. So, so would you say that, I think so, but I'm asking you, I don't think everybody is prepared or everybody has the ability to be a athlete of some sort moving through life, but you're trying to give them basic guidelines so that everybody has a level playing field, right? Um, so you have a inner youth versus somebody wrote grew up in the suburbs or whatever so that everybody has an equal start? Oh, absolutely. So, you know, we, we do have a formalized sports assessment, but I'm always, I'm always assessing movement. I mean, that's what a physical, sure. therapist, physical therapist does. So, yes, when, when we meet these kids, we're kind of going through an informal assessment of their movement patterns, but then we're offering exercises and movement-specific skills to help improve their overall movement ability. Gotcha. And it translates to other things in life. I mean, but more specifically, if they do decide to go from a rec team to a club team or they want to go sure. from playing in their backyard or on their driveway to playing for, uh, you know, a local recreational team like an I-9 or something, yeah. then they already have some sort of framework or context to build from. Because there's, there's unfortunately times where parents aren't, they're so busy, they don't have a time to show the kids how to dribble basketball or you know, they might buy the hoop and they might buy the ball, but they don't spend the time to show them how to shoot properly or dribble properly. So, yeah, yeah um, you know, as busy as we can get, sometimes you just want to outsource some of these things. You want to yeah. spend time with your kids, but maybe the fruit of your or the, the, the bulk of your time is spent with helping them with homework. Yeah. As opposed to helping them with shooting baskets. Yeah. Finding the person that's the right person for the job. Correct. Yeah. And, and this is pre-COVID. Mm -hmm. 
But one of the things I know that you did was you would also help rehabilitate athletes, whether it's college, pro, whatever, but you also help students. And, and if you think about it, I, I know, for instance, when Caleb was younger and I would throw the baseball with him, I, I was good for like five minutes because my arm has never recovered from a pitching injury that I had as a kid. Sure. And you work with kids now, and I think that's great because, one, don't – like, yeah, great. You want them to be good. You want them to – Parents want him to go be a pitcher for the Astros or whatever, but also just I'm 40 years old and I can't throw a baseball with my son for more than five minutes because my arm hurts. Right, I'm gonna cry, man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's okay. He doesn't play baseball. Uh, I've met Caleb, but I mean, you, that's one of the things I think that you do as well as you work with the individually. Right. I guess is what I was right. going at. So part of our programs are in injury prevention programs. So we're we're teaching you the right way to throw. So that way you don't end up with a, a youth injury that could have been prevented. You know, we have so much information now. The science is out. You know, I think the major thing that a lot of um, our doctors are saying, especially the pediatricians that work with these sports injuries, are you don't want to specialize a kid too early. You know, yeah. you're talking about a repetitive motion that now you're, if, you're, if they're not doing anything but that, you're going to wear out the body part, uh, whether it's the shoulder or the knee or whatever it is. So try to spread it out to where they learn multiple sports multiple movement patterns because now we understand that actually the more movement specific they are, the better they are in any performance that you need them to be in any sport. So it translates to just about everything. Um, I'm trying to still convince my younger one who's actually pretty good at moving to take a dance class because those are things that you're now learning what step you're supposed to take and you're starting to learn what the pattern is and timing it to music actually really makes a difference when you're dribbling the ball down the court and you're trying to time the pass to the open player yeah. or work your way through the middle so you can get into a layup position. Right. Um, so all those things, I mean, some people are very natural and gifted at those things, but but that's why there's also coaches out there so they can get the kids that aren't as natural to it sure. and try to work on those movement-specific skills. Well, let's go back just a minute. You said when you were applying to – school, sure. they ask you what your idea of a physical therapist is. So what is the general consensus? What do people generally think you do versus what you actually do? I think <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of us come from a background of either having been injured or worked with someone in our family or somebody close to us who's who's had some sort of true injury where it's, it, it limited them for quite a while or it was a maybe a disease state, you know, yeah. and I say disease, uh, I think people like probably think about what we're dealing with right now, but I really believe that disease state could be anything from like being diagnosed with arthritis, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm talking, you know, even yeah, like you said, Parkinson's and those type of things. So when you're in a household with somebody who is limited, oftentimes that person needs to go out and seek medical care, whether sure. it's physical therapy, occupational therapy, or even a medical doctor. Um, so we all come from a background typically when we've been exposed to that. For me, in my, for my specific situation, I needed physical therapy as a college football player, having, you know, hurt my back and ruptured two discs in my lower oh, back. Wow. So, you know, prior to that, I had never really sustained a long-lasting injury. I'd had, you know, fractured uh, elbow. So, you know, that took two weeks. You know, <laughs> I, you know, as a kid, like, they tell you, well, you might want to give it six weeks, but two weeks later, you're able to catch a yeah, ball and, sure. and get tackled, and so you're huh. back to normal. Right, yeah. of course. You know, um, but when, when that happened, that really kind of shocked shocked me personally because I, I thought that my career was going to end. Well, that's what I was going to say. It's got to be a career-ending thought at least. Right. To the point where I, you know, I you know, consulted with a few physicians, um, both back surgeons and 
very good in this Houston area. One of them immediately said, you need surgery. The other one said, well, you're 19 years old. Right. You know, things are going to heal. Let's see how much healing occurs before we try to do anything to correct your lower back. And so they offered physical therapy. Now, at that mm. point, I'd already kind of knew what a physical therapist was because yeah. career day in high school, that was my choice. I chose sports medicine. Wow. I paid attention. <laughs> wow. Yeah, they sent me out to a huge hospital system here in, uh, in, in South, Southeast Houston. And uh, I got to hang out and watch professionals work with people that wanted to get back to f- oh, wow. to exercise and be fit. So in the back of my head, I thought, well, that's a pretty cool job if I ever wanted to look for a job in that in, in this in this realm. Yeah. But, you know, after the back injury, they sent me to physical therapy. And I got to tell you guys, walking into that room, looking around, figuring maybe I didn't belong there because no one really looked like me right away. Yeah. Right. So it was much older people with probably yeah. chronic conditions, maybe had surgery, maybe didn't, maybe trying to avoid surgery. Sure. The young lady that evaluated me, she was about 5'2", maybe 130 pounds, <laughs> looked like she could have been a cheerleader, gymnast type gotcha. situation. So initially, I was kind of skeptical. I was yeah. like, what do you know about football? <laughs> right. And how are you supposed to help me get back into what I really am passionate about doing? So, you know, I'm just going to tell you right now, don't judge a book by its cover. Oh, yeah. For right? Sure. <laughs> Good lesson <laughs> I think for we all, yeah, we all yeah. kind of learned that lesson in different ways. But, um, no, she said, look, my job is to help you get back. Okay? And I understand how, how passionate you are. But we're going to go through our evaluative process. And once we determine what needs to happen, then we'll go over that with you. And so we went through all the testing. And she found out that, yes, I was having extreme pain in my lower back due to the ruptured disc. But she said, oh, by the way, you have a weak core. And my what? Yeah, that was my that Who was my you? response. Yeah. I was like, hey, I could do 100 sit-ups right now. And she goes, that's not the core I'm talking about. Yeah. You know, <laughs> most of you guys can do sit-ups, but I'm talking about connecting the muscles around your abdominals and making sure that your hips and your abdominals speak to each other when it's time to go. And so she proved it to me, and she had wow. me do a couple tests that were functional in, in nature. And let me tell you, I was shaking like it was cold in there. Wow. And she said, this is what I mean. You can't even hold the position I'm putting you in. Wow. So I realized, okay, there's something there. She she pointed out some weakness that I probably need to address. Well, it wasn't even four months later when I realized not only was my core stronger, but I was starting to lift weights again, and my weights, my numbers were going up in the weight room. Wow. So I was starting to figure out that, you know. Maybe there's a connection. There's a connection here. I mean, six months into it, I finally got released to play football again. I was coming out of my stance faster and more explosive than I've ever felt. Wow. And I attribute that to her, the exercises that she was providing me. So that, to me, was an indication that this might be a career that you want to follow. That's life-changing. Huh? Yeah, once you're done with the NFL, of course, you know. Right, yeah. <laughs> <Of course. laughs> because all of us, right, yeah. um, we get into it because we, we love the game, but we like to get paid for it at some point. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully. Yeah, well, one of the things, the, the other thing I want to bring up, because it's a, a neat thing that I think you provide your clients that not everyone does, is the Alter G yes. system. We were just talking about it before we started. You've offered to let me run in it, and I've always felt like I would trip on myself like an idiot. But uh, <laughs> you probably would. walk us through what the Alter G is. All right, so Alter G, it's anti-gravity treadmill. And it's developed to help people. Well, originally it was helped. Uh, it was developed to help astronauts kind of reintroduce themselves back to the, gra- the Earth's gravity. So they, these guys are up in orbit for months at a time, and then they come back, and their bones are demineralized because the calcium in their bones have actually left the bone because it wasn't adhered to anything because there's no pressure on the bone. Okay. So then they started putting these guys in on bed rest for weeks until wow. they got a little bit more acclimated. And then they'd put them in the water and have them train in the water. But that was cumbersome. 
you know, rolling a guy in a wheelchair into the water and basically saying, all right, go swim. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, one of the NASA engineers decided to come up with a treadmill that would be make them a little bit more airborne and it wasn't as cumbersome. So he developed the Ultra G. um, And the story that I've heard is that his son at the time was a business. It was in business school and was in a graduate program in California. And he said, Dad, this is a really good design. I think we could probably take it public. And they did because they found several uses for it. And so research laboratories use it. Universities have it for their injured athletes. Sure. Uh, any, anyone that has any kind of lower body injury, whether it's a sprain or a tear of ACL or a tear of a muscle, when the doctor says you can't run for six months or three months or two months even, you know, I, the first athlete I ever really got in the Ultra G when I worked at, at a clinic was a rice athlete that ran cross country. And if you told him that he couldn't run, basically you were saying to him, the reason they recruited you, you have to stop. Wow. And that was going to take him out not only for a season, but possibly for the entire duration of his career. So these guys are going to run through hairline fractures. They're going to run through, I mean, as disgusting as it sounds, bloody toes. They're going to push themselves. They're going to push themselves. So we had to find ways to help train them without losing the, the lung capacity, the heart capacity the the reason why they were recruited they got really good at what they were doing and so i decided to implement that into our program because i i'm a sports physical therapist a lot of sports require running and if somebody can't (laughs) run for too long you know you got people that lose interest over time or people that get discouraged because they can't do it and they think that it's just not going to be for them anymore or sometimes it's too painful to do it. Yeah. So then they, there's always somebody behind you trying to pass you. Right? It, yeah. Oftentimes there's that element of feeling the sense of urgency to return yeah. to sports. So this gives us that ability to help people get back faster. And it's just something that we have as technology now. You know, we use electrical stimulation to help build strength and muscles. We, we have all kinds of anti-weight, anti-gravity devices to help people kind of work out without you know, bearing too much joint pressure on their, on their ankles or knees. And, and we, we even have like stimulators, muscle stimulators and bone stimulators to get bones to, to adhere to each other so they can start, you know, healing much faster. So wow. all the hyperbaric chamber stories that you hear about these guys in the NFL, it's true. Yeah. They're finding ways to heal tissues much faster. And so they're, they're able to return to things that for the lack of a better term, this is their livelihood, right? Yeah. Once they lose that, then they have to really go find something that can be as equally passionate about, or maybe they never get back to something that they, they, they really want to do again. And it's, it's troublesome for them. Yeah. Well, I know that uh, one of our previous guests was VJ Nadal. He speaks very highly of you. Not a, not an athlete anymore. It might have been when he was younger, but uh, he <laughs> preaches what you have done for him. He, he holds a special place in my heart because um, we connected instantly. Yeah, you know, there, there's times uh, there there are things that happen in your life and in your world that are totally out of your your ability to comprehend. And unfortunately for him, he was you know thrust into a situation where doctors didn't really know if he was going to be walk able to walk again. Yeah. And um, when I met him, his spirits and his energy and his entourage, I got to tell you about his entourage. (laughs) (laughs) So he, you know, he comes into the clinic with his dad and a few friends. That's one thing I noticed about him. He never came alone. He has such a huge support system around him. I think that also helped his ability to rehabilitate because it's a lonely journey back to hopefully where you want to get to. And having people just kind of encourage you and tell you that they're there no matter what really does help you uh, in, in the psychological aspect of it. But, um, you know, he came in with 
several broken bones, ruptured internal organs, really at a point where, you know, he had a very limited chance of living during the accident that he had. But once he was cleared by the physicians and he'd done all his follow-up visits, the next challenge for him was to be able to get up and walk. So as a physical therapist, you know, it's not just about looking at movement, but also figuring out, are they going to be able to do something that they wish that they can do again? So I'm always about empowering and encouraging. I mean, that just comes from, I think, the way I was coached. And now I get to transfer that to the way I, I coach or treat my patients. But when I found out that he was an avid sports fan and he had this big entourage and he wanted to really walk, each session, as grueling as it may have been for him initially, kind of encouraged me to think outside the box on what we can do to get him on his feet. Yeah. And ultimately, I mean, as you probably already know, he was able to start taking his first steps in front of us. And, yeah. you know, if you think about a parent watching their kids take the first steps, it's almost as fulfilling as that. Really? Because you know what it means to them and you know how it translates to their ability to just kind of interact with the world again. You know, when you could walk to your car and get in, like we take these things for granted. But when somebody takes that away from you, it is disheartening. It's it's challenging to figure out what, what it is that you're going to be able to do on a day-to-day. You start limiting yourself on what kind of jobs you can take. Yeah. You know, starting your own company and being an entrepreneur is something that I've seen that he's been able to do recently. For sure. And he's so happy and successful now. But if he, if he wasn't able to walk, I don't know if any of those things would have followed, you know. Yeah. So that's, that's the fun part about being a physical therapist. You do get those stories in your clinic. Beyond just a, I woke up with back pain. You get right. people that really need your help to kind of find their way through life again, and you get to connect with these individuals. And VJ is definitely one of those people for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he is. He's a good guy. All right. So if you're interested in reaching out to reps, there's a couple of different ways. You can email them at info at repspt.com. That's R-E-P-S-P-T.com. He's also on Instagram at Reps Houston. We're on Facebook at R-E-P-S-P-T, Reps PT. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you guys for Cle- having me. Clearly the smartest guy in the room. Oh, <laughs> yes. Man. Yeah, Thank I got you. doctor in the title. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just from talking to you, you're definitely the smartest guy in this room. Oh, man, you guys are amazing. Thank you so much for having me. If you're interested in sponsoring Creating Community, we'd love to talk to you. Our goal is to reach our community and let them know about great leaders and businesses that are helping to make it better. If you want to be a part of that, please email us at info at 1820marketing.com. That's info at 1820marketing.com to start the conversation. And speaking of sponsorship, thank you to Emergence Functional Nutrition and the Alvin Manville Area Chamber of Commerce for sponsoring this show. Learn more about them at efn.fit and alvinmanvillechamber.org. Creating Community with Dorian and Jake is produced by 1820 Marketing and is available wherever you get your podcast. Show notes and more are available at 1820marketing.com slash podcast as well. Thanks for tuning in and we'll be back next week with an all new episode.